0: You've been there for how many years have you been there now, sorry?
1: So I've been a business owner for six years and I've been um, in real estate all up for 18 um, yep. on the up and all shore um, for about 15 of those years.
0: Yeah, cool. And, and in terms of your growth period, when did you, like obviously we're going to have a lot of younger listeners um, listening into this, trying to find those those one percenters and golden nuggets off you. Yeah. How did it take you to get to the point where you're starting to hit levels of strata success? And what was it like coming up? Like, your daily tasks have obviously varied from the start till now. Like, how has it changed for
1: you? Um, So, I often joke, but it's probably not a joke. The first 10 years of my career were a bit of a joke. Like, I was um, average, kind of just not really doing much. I was not setting the world on fire. I wasn't, you know, didn't do badly, but didn't really – I didn't really get to any great heights. Um, I was probably doing what most people are doing, which is just going through peaks and troughs and having a good month and a crap month and um, and just really kind of not, didn't have the head in the game, didn't have um, things where I wanted to get them. And uh, that showed in terms of what I was writing GCI. Um, then I think when it all changed for me was probably um, getting married. I got married Uh, seven eight years ago in December and at that point in time I was kind of you know a salesperson within a business where I I had motivations but I kind of I didn't really you know I didn't have I guess I was probably it was all about me rather than anyone else then I met my wife then she got pregnant we kind of you know I had my motivation became a lot stronger and a lot greater Mm -hmm. so um, my my headspace changed, and once my headspace changed, and I changed the structure of how I ran my sales business and my, my team, everything changed for me.
0: Cool. And I remember hearing you on another podcast, or I think it was on one of Tom Panos's interviews a few years back, and you mentioned that this skill set level between someone that's writing 500,000 to someone that's writing 5 million is isn't actually that much different, but it comes down to mindset and I guess that's living proof of it.
1: Yep. But
0: when you talk about change of mindset, did, did your daily tasks change or, or were you just working harder or working smarter? How did it change your work?
1: Um, it's a bit of everything. So I think the, the main focus for me, um, and I think this is probably a lesson that I took too long to learn was um, I think most people in our industry, they think they're competing against other agents. They think they're competing against people within their own office. They think they're competing against, you know, hard sellers and hard buyers. And um, that's what they're always in a struggle against. And realistically, once you realize the only person you're competing with is yourself and you, you genuinely believe that, um, then the, the game changes. Because if you, uh, if you understand that you're competing against who you were yesterday, you've got to be better today and you've got to do better than you did yesterday. Once you realize that, nothing else matters. Nothing else at all matters because then you can't make excuses. You can't go, oh, my competitor undercut me. No, they did. They they may have, but you just weren't good enough in that listing presentation. Um, yeah. You didn't connect well enough. You didn't put in the time. You didn't actually get across all your points of difference. So the moment you realize that the competition is yourself and not anyone else is that the moment your headspace changes.
0: Yeah, got it, yeah. Um, I guess the marketplace that you're working in as well, it's going to demand high performance when you're dealing with you know, an average sale. What's your average sale price?
1: Uh, around 2.7, 2.8 million.
0: 2.7, 2.8 mil. Now, when you started working that upper North Shore market, I know there's a whole lot of stock that is high price, but did you start at that high price point or did you? Uh... Oh,
1: definitely not. I started in the, sort of the cheaper pocket of Wurunga. Um, when I first got into uh, this market, the, w- my biggest competition was um, the number one LJ Hooker business in the country and um, some really, really tough competition and good agents, good, good people, people that um, connect with other people well. So the market we're in, which is a, it's probably one of the, the highly um, contested markets in the whole of Sydney, like everyone talks about the eastern suburbs, but I think the North Shore is just as competitive and the, the quality of agencies is just as good, if not better. Um, so mm. it's, um, it's, it's, it's one of those markets that if you're off, you're, you're not going to do any, any good. Mm. And if you're 5% off, then people are going to cream you. So you really need to be at the top of your game. And yeah. I also look at my competition and I, I think most agents try and in their minds make their competition into these bad people and um, talk badly about them and think badly about them. Whereas a majority of my competition, um, they're, they're, they seem to be decent people um, that do good business, that their clients like them. And once you actually start thinking that way, it, it forces you to be better rather than blame other people.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Um, and, and what what would be your advice for someone that's trying to crack into a higher price, a higher price point? Like, for example, with myself, my average sale price is one seven around mm-hmm. that price. There's another suburb next to it where you're averaging probably two. 2.2 as an average sale price. What would be your advice to someone like me that was that would try to go to that market? Or would you say don't and just t- and service the core area you were already working?
1: The thing is, I, I'd say put price to one side. So don't focus too much on price. If you're doing the core activities um, and the things you know you need to be doing day to day, it doesn't matter what price bracket you're in. So that yeah. everything that got you to be a good agent in your $1.7 million market, if you just recreate and do the exact same things and have the same habits, in a different pricing market, you'll you'll get the same success. The price yeah. point. I, I used to be the same in my mind. Probably six or seven years ago, I was like, oh well, I don't really sell much in the top end, so I'm going to just be happy in the you know the one one to one and a half million dollar price range. Um, and then as soon as I realised that it, it it's nothing to do with what you sell in, it's the way you think about things. I now can list a property that's worth $10 million and I don't think of it any differently to a $1.5 million house. It's the same, it's the same basics that you need, which is connecting with people, making them understand that you're there for their best interest. You want to get the best price for them. Most people, that's what they want. They want, they want to feel that the person working for them is going to do the best job for them and put in the effort. Um, I got feedback from a vendor yesterday that's sort of a, a, one of a, um, a very highly priced home that we got the listing on, and she her feedback to me was, you weren't pushy, you you didn't spin bullshit, and you um were, you were honest and you seemed genuine. Whereas the yeah. other agents, they you know, I, I feel like they had commission breath and they probably were all about just getting a high priced property for their ego rather than because they wanted to do the right thing for the owner. Yeah. So it doesn't matter the price range. In short, it, it just did, if you've got the same. Same strategies around what you're doing with the lower-priced properties. It's all about connection with people.
2: Yeah. Well, guys, what we'll do, I'll um, introduce the podcast now. David, appreciate your um, that little bit of segment where we can get to understand you, your business. So I'll open up the podcast. Um, so the way it'll run, Kevin and myself will ask you questions from a buyer. I'm a buyer's agent. Kevin's obviously a selling agent. So we'll try and get both perspective of to delve a little bit about you a little bit of your past life prior to being the owner of North Shore, Ray White, um, and then also what the future looks like for you. Sure. Um, so just to, just to clarify, owner of Ray White, North Shore?
1: Ray White, Upper North Shore.
2: Upper North Shore. Um, and in terms, do you mind if we touch on some of the numbers you're hitting? Sure. Fantastic. What, um, what would be, I guess, the number you want us to, to open up with for you?
1: In terms um, of the- do you mean for the business or for me? For yourself. Um, we've I've written over four million in the last 12, 12 months, um, and and the business has done, you know, we, last month we sold 150 million in property last month. Wow, mate, phenomenal numbers.
2: So I'll um I'll start us off. So guys, welcome back to another episode of Both Sides of the Fence, where myself Daniel Beadle and my co-host Kevin Buchanan will interview agents and people with like-minded goals just to get a perspective from a buyer's agent myself and a selling agent Kevin. So today we're very humbly welcomed by David Walker who is the owner of the Ray White um, real estate company in the Upper North Shore um, himself riding 4 million and his team just in the last month have done about 150 million in transactions. So David really thank you for coming on board. Um, do you mind introducing yourself and I guess why real estate and how did you get to such a position right
1: now yeah good well thanks for having me guys um i sort of fell into real estate straight after school i didn't know what i wanted to do um but one of my friends was going into real estate and as an 18 year old he said why don't you go and get a job in real estate and i did that and that was that was what 18 years ago now so um it was i i I guess probably sounds cliche but it was always in my blood a bit my as a, as a young child, my mum used to drag me around to open homes and um, she used to love buying real estate and renovating it and, you know, moving on to the next one. So um, as a she tells a story, as a 10-year-old, she'd take me to an open home. I'd get the floor plan, play around with the floor plan and see how the house could be better and it, um, better the floor plan. And, and from there, it kind of got into wanting to kind of get into beautiful houses and look at beautiful houses. And, and here I am as a real estate agent.
2: Awesome. So, mate, um, four million. How do you do such big numbers? Tell me a bit about the mindset going from an eighteen-year-old transitioning all the way to where you are now. Um, our kind of audience is quite young, myself included. What would your advice be to get to where you are and how to maintain that level?
1: Yeah, look, it, real estate is a, it, It's not a. It's not a. Um, it's not a short race. You've got to have a long-term view. Um, it's the tortoise and hare thing like i i I very much the tortoise you look at some some other people who you know seem to have runs on the board straight away um but i've tried to build a sustainable business um over the last sort of six to seven years where i just built a really good team around me they all have their own functions within in the team um but really focused on how i can be. be as good as I could be in my role and um, having a good listing presentation, knowing how to close buyers, getting the right dialogue um, down pat so that when you're in front of people, you're closing when you can close. Um, But being genuine in everything I do, I think is really important. But I think most important critical thing is the way you have your head set um, uh, and the way you think about things so I think most of us we're always in a struggle with ourselves and the way we think about things so if you can get your head right then you're, you're well on the way to writing good numbers.
0: Yeah um, one thing that I found really interesting with you David when I met up with Coffee with you a few months ago you uh, are of a lot work-life balance more than anybody else of these top agents. I feel like a lot of the top agents it's more like Hey, we're in the office at five a.m. and you know it's very robotic. But you, it, it feels like your business is more like a flowing state. There's yep. nothing binds now. When you started your career and, and your your own standalone agent, were you only because I know now you're working five days a week but your business flows a lot easier. It's not like you're pushing business. Were you like that in the beginning? Were you still five days a week taking more time off for, for family and stuff? Or was it a different business model back then?
1: Um, look, I think you've you've got to put in the time and the hours. And especially when you're a younger person coming into real estate, you can't kind of go, I want to get work-life balance or I don't want to burn out. Like The bottom line is you've got to work your ass off. Um, and anyone that tries to say that they... Um, They don't want to work hard. They just want to, you know, work a few hours and that that you're not going to, you're not going to last in a highly competitive market. So I did work hard, but I worked smart as well. Um, I'd set challenges for myself. So if I could get a certain amount of leads or listings, then I'd give myself a, you know, I'd allow myself to have a day off. Um, So if you, I think people who, don't have challenges or set goals for themselves and just kind of, go, okay, well, it's another week in real estate. Um, I'll see what I can do this week and then get to the end of the week and achieve nothing. Like that's, I think, a typical week of a, a real estate agent. Whereas if you turned around and said, okay, I'm going to do 500 calls for the week or I'm going to knock on 500 doors. If I do, I'll be able to take my Friday day off. If I don't, then I'm not taking my day off. If you if you challenge yourself and actually hold yourself accountable to hitting the numbers, then it will change the way you work yeah do you
0: think that's it would you say that's one of your big contributing factors why you've been able to consistently stay at the top by actually taking time off
1: um yeah yeah like but also rewarding yourself for for doing well um i'm i'm my biggest critic um i like I, i i really don't care what anyone thinks about me or what anyone says about me unless there's somebody close to me um if but i i genuinely care about what i think about myself so um and how i how i Um, how I am as a person, how how I am as a father, how I am as a husband. So um, if you're your own biggest critic, rather than I think a lot of us are too easy on ourselves, but you don't want to be, you don't want to always be kind of negative, but if you, if you know, you haven't done something as good as you could do it, or you didn't put in the effort. um, I think a lot of people go, Oh, it's okay. I'll just do it next time. Or I didn't, I didn't get up and go for a walk this morning because I was a bit lazy um, that's easy to do that. Like it's making the hard decisions and going, well, if I don't do this, there's going to be a punishment. If I don't, if I um, like, if, you've just got to, you've got to have your goals and sit, uh, and, and actually stick to them. People go, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to, you know, lose five kilos. Well, what's your punishment if you don't and what's your reward if you do? So it's the same with real estate. You've got to have your goals that you want to put in place. If you want to write um, 500 grand for the year, then work backwards and go, what, what is that per month? If in month two, you kind of haven't written the 50 grand per month you need, why is that? What punishments? Are you working seven days then? Like you have a punishment that you go, I really don't want to do that. So therefore, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work smarter. I'm going to actually do the calls today so I can take my day off tomorrow. But then if you do them, you've got to reward yourself as well and go, well, I'm going to take my wife away for a weekend if I can get three listings. So it's the... it's the um, really being hard on yourself to kind of keep yourself in check. And then once you create your habits, then, which is, I guess, where I am in my life now, I'm, I've got habits that I do every single day. So I get up, you know, I went for a, a 10 kilometre walk through the national park this morning. So it becomes a habit. It's not something that I'll wake up and it's a chore to do. Uh, so once you create these habits, then that sort of gives you the whole sort of platform for working on, in, on yourself every day, but it becomes part of you
2: yeah hey david just with the um you're talking about setting a a boundary for if you don't hit your standard Mm. you have punishment what's a couple of examples of punishments you've um set for yourself
1: i will will literally say uh, say, uh, i don't i don't really do it as much these days because i kind of have set the platform but what i would do back you know four or five years ago would say okay if if i do if i write 250,000 this quarter, we're going to go away to Byron Bay for a weekend. If we don't, I'm working every single, I'm going to work every single day off. And wow. somebody like that, if, if you, let, you let your wife down, there's nothing worse in the world because they're looking forward to it, especially with a young baby going, well, yeah. if you don't do it, why aren't you doing it? Where's your listings coming from? They, they're buying into it, but it's actually keeping yourself to it. Not, not hitting the numbers. If you do 249,000, you're not going on that holiday. Like it's it's actually being honest and, and and hard on yourself.
0: Yeah, I bet you hit that target every time. Every
1: time, There's every time. There's no way you're not going to. Um, yeah. And then well, people that are on your journey and that are involved and they sort of win when you win and lose when you lose, they're kind of encouraging along the way.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. I like that. I'm gonna implement that for sure.
1: Like if I said to you right now, Kevin, like I said, I'm going to give you a check for a million dollars. All you need to do is go and find five sellers in the next 24 hours that you don't know right now. How many doors would you knock on? How many phone calls would you make? What would you do? How Like you wouldn't be on the the, the end of this podcast because you'd be going out just looking for and hunting and hustling and finding, I guarantee you'd find five sellers. Oh, I,
0: would that. Have, yeah, I would have hung up right now and started calling.
1: But that's where if you if you actually every day, you, and it's hard to, to keep up like this all the time, but if you have your head in the space of going, I'm going to make myself work to get those five sellers in the next 24 hours or next seven days. If I don't, I'm not taking a day off or something that you really enjoy doing, or I'm not going to go on that holiday, you're going to you're going to work so much smarter and harder. You're not going to be taking you know, a coffee break for an hour or just go for a drive and kind of waste time. You, you, you're not going to be gossiping in the office or you're going to be working hard because you know, there's an outcome at the end of it.
2: Yeah. Hey David, what me and Kevin and I both get coaching from Jeffy Gowett, who's um, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a really good coach and he helps a lot of people in the real estate industry. And one of his philosophies, which he advocates for us is the concept of flow, not force, where, it's all good and well to set huge goals and targets, but if you're forcing your action and, you know, you're getting that commission by where all you're caring about is commission and you get that commission breath, Mm -hmm. what's your thoughts on balancing flow in achieving a goal versus forcing yourself on an outcome and then projecting the wrong energy?
1: Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. You've got to find whatever works for you. So what works for me might be very different to what works for somebody else in the office. Um, I've always, I've found once you find your pain points, um, you can set goals towards your pain points, but also to your pleasure points. So um, <clears throat> like for some people, people are driven by money. Some people are driven by ego. Some people are driven by, um, in, you know, impressing other people. So you got to find what your what your pleasure points and what your pain points are. There's sort of the flow and force. It kind of, if if flow works better for you, then do it. If force works better for you, do it. So I'm not a big believer that all size, all shoes fit all sizes. So um, you've got to really work, work out what works for you. Um, as soon as you do that and you kind of connect with something, do that. That's kind of that's the biggest the biggest thing. But I think the biggest takeaway that you could have from um, from anything I say would be just work out that you're the person that you're competing with. No No one else is your competitor. It doesn't matter how good or bad your competition is. If you're the best version of who you can be, then you can't kind of, if you lose a listing presentation, it doesn't matter because you did the best job you could. But the worst thing you can do is go, I should have done this or I could have done that or I could have said that. If you go into every presentation um, or you on a Saturday on show day, you're there kind of in good form, you're not hungover, you're kind of ready to put deals together which then comes across with potential sellers who are also buyers. If you're, if you're in the best form on those days, then that's where you, you, you're not really going to be getting, getting beaten. I think most people have this headspace of, oh, my competition is the reason I'm not doing better. It's not. The, the reason you're not doing better is because you're not good enough and you need to be better.
0: Yep. Why do you think you're better than your competitors?
1: Um, I, do you know what? In a lot of cases I'm not. <laughs> so I just feel like in my head, I'm comfortable with where I am Um, and my competition's really good. My competition are are decent people. My competition, um, I'd list my house with a lot of my competition. Some I probably wouldn't, but others, like a lot of my competition are are good, decent people. Um, And so I think the reason why I, I can do the numbers I do is because I'm challenging myself. I'm always challenging myself. I'm always questioning myself. Um, I'm not saying the same thing in a listing presentation like a robot every single day. Um, so, the, because I'm always wanting to be as best as I can, I'm, I'm like right now I'm redesigning our whole listing presentation for, across the whole business, and it's going to be incredible. Like it's it's yeah. it's exactly everything I've been wanting to culminate, put it all together, and it's going to be amazing. But I guarantee you, in six to twelve months' time, I'm going to be going okay. How can I change that now? Because yeah it might become stale. So it's always being better than you were yesterday.
0: Yeah. Um, you, I think what I've seen throughout this industry is there is a little bit of a revolving door um, throughout the industry with younger agents coming in, thinking they're going to make a quick buck um, pretty quick. And obviously we know, we both know that's not the case and it takes a long period of time to get to a point of uh, level of uh, decent success for most people's careers. But where do you think a lot of younger agents go wrong um, before they hit that level of success?
1: Yeah, everyone wants immediate gratification, so everyone wants to be driving the BMW after a year in real estate. With the, everyone wants to be Gavin Rubenstein, everyone wants to be um, <clears throat> Elliot Plax, everyone wants to be on Million Dollar Listing Australia. Um, mm. Whereas you've got to understand that you you've got to be you've got to be um, a hard worker first. You've got to learn the trade it's like all of the the people that come into our industry, look at it as an apprenticeship. You've got 10 years of hard work. You've got 10 years of pounding pavement, 10 years of being a pen pusher and doing what other people are telling you to do. If you can put in that 10 years of hard work, but also try and find somebody you can learn a lot from, if you can do that and put in 10 good years of probably not making a huge amount of money, um, but you can still make decent money, in 10 years' time, you could be earning more than what say a doctor earns. um, But doctors also have to put in 15 years of hard work before they start earning good money as well. So, um, but like any industry, only the best are going to make decent money um, and 80% of the people will make 20% of the income and 20% will make 80% of the income. So if you want to be part of the 20%, it's all about putting your head down, working hard, finding a good mentor um, and being humble and kind of along the way, having a good time.
0: Yeah. Cool. And, in terms of mentors, do you do you use mentors at the moment? And if you do, are they like are they just um via social media? Are they actual people in real life? How do you operate with that?
1: Well, I don't think I don't think anyone should be getting mentors from social media because what people put on social media probably really isn't them. Um, people that I look up to um, that I have time a lot of time for, uh, you know, friends, family, my parents, um, in our industry other really top performers, like, um, you know, there's really good business owners across the Ray White group that I, I'm good friends with, that I speak to regularly, that I celebrate their successes, even though they might be competing in a, in a group sense, but I, I love to see other people do well rather than see people fail. Um, <clears throat> people, you know, it, trainers like Tom Panos, um, he's real, like he's raw. I love that. I love people who are real and honest, um, but yeah, I wouldn't say I have any any mentors as such, but like as a younger person when I came into the industry, I looked up to people like John McGraw, Matt Steinwade. Um, when I was when I was first in the industry, I remember uh, remember doing his sort of <clears throat> um, his course that he that he had yeah. back then. Um, and yeah. still, there's so much you can learn from people like that. But if you just look at what the top agents are doing and work out whether that works for you or not um then you know in my area i wouldn't be able to go and wear gucci shoes and no socks crucified but in other areas that works for people so um do what works for you do what works but don't and and the best thing you can do is find somebody who's doing well and work out why they're doing well and listen to them and take advice and um and just put your head down work hard and be honest
2: yeah so what does what does the uh, daily activity or weekly activity look like for you now, David?
1: Um, Being... Yeah, look, I, I spend a lot of time both on the business and both working listings. Um, as I said, I'm I'm lucky that I've got a great team around me. So um, we've got you know we've got listings on the go, but I know that the roles of the team are getting done by those people. So a day for me is. It's it's not, you know, as I said to you before, it's kind of getting up, doing a bit of a some sort of exercise, spending some time with the family. Um, I don't get to work at 6 a.m. I don't, you know, do what a lot of people in, in at the top end seem to do because it's more important to spend time with my family than it is to be in the office. Um, but when I'm in the office, I'm in the office, I'm working, um, I'm on the phone, I'm calling speaking to people talking to vendors talking to buyers doing everything you'd expect me to do but every day is different like um i'd be doing two to three appraisals or presentations per day um all with immediate sellers i don't really deal with anyone that's not selling their house in the next three to six months um so it's all just um very much dollar productive um stuff and i don't i don't do do things that are not getting towards a goal like somebody says can you come and me an appraisal i'm not selling for five years that'll be somebody else on my team that does that i I don't do stuff that's not going to be um immediate kind of uh, in the next three to six month um, sort of stuff yep and I,
0: i carry on daniel
2: what would you say has been the biggest mistake you've made or an obstacle you've had to overcome that you could share that you wish you you know now
1: um the biggest thing that I would say to anyone who probably has always starting out is I probably sound like a broken record is start realizing that you competition yourself. So the moment that I realized that, which was probably about six or seven years ago, it didn't matter what anyone else did. It didn't matter who, what, what other agents were listing. It didn't matter, um, you know, how, if whether a person had more listings than me or not. As soon as I realized the only person letting me down was me, that was when, everything changed for me because I didn't make excuses and I didn't kind of say, oh, that was, that was another reason why I didn't get the listing. The, the, as soon as I realised it was on me, the way that I thought about things changed.
0: Yeah. I, um, when I started my career, I, I was told to always start under or, or get under a great agent that's <laughs> doing numbers to learn the ropes the right way. Now did you start your career under someone writing big numbers or did you kind of learn it yourself?
1: Um, yeah so I, there were so I started my real estate career down on the northern beaches for four yep. years and I had some really good um, agents down there who were within the business who um, all different stages of their career. and I learned a lot from them. Um, and then once I came up into this area, there were within the business some really good people and agents as well. Uh, I probably learned just as much from them as I did other top agents within the industry, reading, listening to interviews. Um, podcasts weren't really a thing 10, 15 years ago, but yeah. um, just learning as much as I could, um, going to as many training sessions as I could. Um, the one thing that I probably I didn't realise at the time that um, I do now, and I think we sort of touched on this earlier, Kevin, was I, I'm a big believer that, if you want to do zero to 500k, it's sort of, that's all skill set. So anyone can write 500 grand in, in which, whichever market. That's all, that's all learning scripts, dialogues, knowing what to say when somebody says they want you to lower your fee or knowing what to say um, when a buyer says, I'm not sure, or we're interested, but we just not, we just can't make a decision. It's knowing what to say um, in any situation that could, could arise. So, Your zero to 500 is all skill, training, honing in your listing presentation um, and just being really good in the skill side. And anyone can do that no matter um, what else is going on with them. 500 to a million is all about getting your team structure right, getting people around you who are doing the non-dollar productive activity. So you can focus on dollar productive um, and really kind of building the right people around you. And then a million plus on a consistent basis is all getting your head in the right place. So anyone that can write a million dollars, that's all well and good, but to do it consistently, that's then you've got to have your head in the right space. You see so many people who have an amazing year, but then the next year they it goes back to half of what they did the year before. And that's yeah. either they let their ego get in the way or they you know, they, they probably either tried to, you know, hustle their team too hard and lost a couple of team members um, but most of the time, it's people that just can't handle uh, continuous success on a consistent basis and they haven't got their head in the right place. And um, it goes in a bit of a spiral. And then the year after, they might kind of get back on track. And it's just, but it's all hot and cold. But people that consistently get their head in the right space, they're the ones that um, will do consistent numbers, sort of over a million bucks.
0: Yeah. You just touched on it where you, where you mentioned uh, losing team members by hustling them too hard. How do you how do you manage your team? Do you give them much time off? Like, do you, are there incentives in place for time off? How do you make sure that your team's well looked after?
1: Yeah, again, this works for me, so it might not work for everybody, but I don't micromanage. So um, when a team member starts, they know what my expectations are and they know... If they're in an um, associate's type role, they know what the numbers need to look like. And so for the first little while, I'll, I'll work on numbers and getting them in the right habits. But after that, I don't micromanage. I don't need to know where everyone is all moments of the day. Um, I don't really care as long as the stuff's getting done and getting done well and we're getting good feedback. So for me, it's all about um, allowing people to have autonomy in their own lives and business. Um, within, our, within my team, I've got... Um, two mums that are you know, trying to homeschool at the moment. Um, and I give them as much flexibility as I possibly can because I understand for them, home life's more important than work life. So I'm not gonna try and force them into you know, being at work um, 24 hours a day when they've got more important things to do. But yeah. because I do that, I feel like I get more out of them because they'll then do things after hours ensuring they get done. But I've, I give huge flexibility. And then the associates in my team they know what they need to be doing they know the act- activity they need to be doing um and so if they're not doing it after you know for a month or so i'll sit down and talk about why and and generally speaking it's because their head may have been off track or they've kind of got something else that's going on in their lives and we talk about that and um as soon as their head space is back in the right place the numbers start um happening again so yeah yeah
0: yeah um you also touched on before um when you were coming up you were obviously podcasts weren't a thing but you were listening to interviews you were reading books and other personal development um tools at the moment at the level that you're at are you still reading books has your learning differed at all
1: um I don't so I probably don't at the moment have the time to read unless I'm on holiday um I love reading a book but the thing that's changed for me that I do now more than I ever have is picking up the phone and calling a top performer or calling somebody just to have a chat to see how they're going. Um, because again, I know I know the skill set of what I need to be doing. I've got the right team structure in place. For me, keeping my head in the right place is speaking to other people um, and <clears throat> um learning from them. Like you'll always pick something up, but um if there's a training session, like we've got Adrian Bo doing a training session with us next week. um, I can't wait for that. That'll be great because I know I'm going to learn something from it. Even speaking to him on the phone the other day, he said a couple of things that um, I used to do, but I probably don't do it as well as I could be doing it. Um, And it just triggered a couple of things for me to start working on again. So I'm always looking at how, um, what I can bring in that's going to improve me, but it's, it's just changed the way that, I do it now. I don't I don't actively go and try and seek out a, a, a video training session on something, but I'll do yep. as much training that, that I can in, when it's put in front of me. Yep. Um,
0: of and, sorry, carry on, Daniel. Yeah, you go. Daniel, um, it, yeah, you go, just go, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, in terms of accountability with yourself and your team, how are you guys keeping yourselves accountable? Are you doing KPIs daily, monthly, weekly?
1: Um, no, not at all. Um, it's, we used to, but that to me, I, I, as I said, I'm not a micromanager. So um, I know that I need to be um, selling roughly around 10 properties a month for 10 months of the year. So mm. if I, in order to do that, I need to be listing two to three properties a week. So I just keep it simple. If I'm not listing two to three properties per week um, for four weeks of the month, then I know that the numbers aren't gonna be where they need to be at the end of the month. Yeah. So on a weekly basis, if I don't have five to seven short-term sellers locked in the diary, there's a problem. And I go, okay, we need to get on the phones. So I don't yeah. try and over-complicate it. I don't try and look at two, two figures too, too much, but I just know if the basics are there, if I'm doing enough presentations, um, then the listings will come in. And if I don't have the presentations in the diary, then, where what are my associates doing to get me in front of more people? Right.
2: Oh, yeah. So, so what I'm hearing from that is you put more energy into the tasks that need to be done based on what's happening at the moment, rather than okay. fix, We have to do this. We have to do that. It's more. Yep. Okay. Where's my energy need to be to make sure we're getting results? Is that kind of what?
1: Yep. Four weeks ago, I had uh, I think I had one listing presentation booked for the whole week, and that scared me. So I mm. spoke to the team and like we need to really change the way that we're what we're doing and the activity we're doing in the last 10 days I've listed 15 properties Mass. so Mass. that's just that's just again getting in the right headspace
0: yeah for sure
2: and um i got an interesting question from a buyer's agent's perspective um what would your advice be for buyers agents on the different side in terms of being consistent in drumming up business? How What would your advice be?
1: Um, look, look, I love working with buyer's agents because we've both got a vested interest in a deal getting done. I think mm. there's some buyer's agents that I, I find interesting because they, they try and almost think that they're outsmarting an agent or they're not transparent with an agent. You're never going to then have a good relationship moving forward. So um, with buyer's agents, the best thing you can do is work with an agent. Obviously, you're working... For your your client to get them a good deal we understand that as agents but we're working with our client to get them a good deal there's got to be some in between where it's a fair deal for both sides um so for buyers agents the better your relationships with agents the the more chance you're going to get of getting into um, things off market um you're going to get the agent trying to help you get a deal done um, because they want to help you just because they like you um it's a thing a lot of agents will do deals with people that they like over and, and sort of try and not do deals with people they don't like, especially when the market's hot um, and you've got a choice of buyers. So um, with buyers agents, you do have to build build relationships. Um, I would say, you know, agency your friends rather than um, the, the common enemy, which I think sometimes some buyers agents, they feel like they've got to try and one-up agents where I just feel like you've got to have good relationships
2: yeah, I totally agree. What's uh what would your advice be to building those relationships oh, and when you're getting a call from a buyer's agent when they're trying to source property, how do you like the buyers agent to approach that conversation? Yeah. What would your tips be on that?
1: Um, so I think I think with buyers agents, you've got to you've got to build credibility because there's a lot of buyers mm-hmm. agents that we meet that come in that sort of try and announce themselves and um and then you never hear from them again. Um so I just I think it's more spending time in an area, um, working, you know, asking questions, going through uh, like some of the better buyers agents that I've built relationships with, they would come through pretty much every open home, even if they didn't have a buyer for the property because they wanted to build relationships, but they also would get to know the market pretty well. Um, Also for me, trust is a big thing with a buyer's agent. If I'm giving a buyer's agent an address of an off market listing or a property, I don't want to hear that my competitors are then knocking on the door two days later, which has has happened with some, some buyers agents where, you know, they're going around and telling their, their way of building relationships with agents is going, oh, <clears throat> that agent's just told me that they've got this one off market. You should try and door knock it. So trust is a big thing as well. You've got to build trust and trust is earned, not just um, assumed.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Cool. Yeah, mate. Um, I, I guess in terms of just before we wrap up, with with for, for the younger agents, what would be your number one advice? I know, like working, seeing yourself as your only competition, but what would be your other biggest advice just to wrap up for for young agents that are new into the industry, one to two years?
1: Yep. So set a goal for yourself, whatever yep. you, whatever it is, and just work hard towards that goal, and don't let anyone get in the way of it. Find good agents within your business, um, within your area, um, and go and sit down, have a coffee, learn from them, um, and just you'll always get something good. Like Kevin, you and I caught up what six months ago. Um, hopefully, you you know you got one or two things out of that that you may have implemented in your own business. But you, you you can learn so much from people that are already doing what you want to do. But find people that you almost would like to emulate and try and learn as much from them as possible.
0: Brilliant. Awesome. David, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Guys, if anyone needs to sell anything in the Upper North Shore, you know who to call.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.